Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Well, we're going to finish up our study in Second Peter today. If you have your Bibles with you, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3. We'll actually begin where we left off last time, verse 10. And then we'll read through the end of the chapter. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the, de- the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by, fi- by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, I started with where we left off last week, talking about the the day that's like a thief coming in the night, a day that we do not know when it's going to come. It's called the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day of God. Uh, whatever terminology you want to use, it's when Jesus comes back in His judgment. Uh, a lot of things will happen before then. Uh, the church will be taken up. We, we believe that. Uh, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats, the, the sheep meaning the righteous, uh, will be taken to heaven, and the, and the goats, the unrighteous, will be uh, judged. Then it says that the heavens and the earth will be burned up with intense heat. I talked about that last week. This is not just a nuclear war or nuclear explosion, because the heavens will also disintegrate with a great heat, which means that the stars, our sun, our planets, the stars out there that are billions and billions of miles away will all be burned up. But... When you look down, uh, verse 13, it says, But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, when God eliminates the old heavens and the old earth, what we, conti- what we uh, think of right now is home. Uh, what we think of is you know, all, that, all that is existing. He's going to take away all that exists now. And he's going to replace it with something that will be eternal. And what we know is that we will be there in our righteousness. 
Now, if we're going to be living in eternal, it's not going to be in these bodies. Thank goodness. We're going to be given perfected bodies, holy bodies, righteous bodies, bodies fit to be in the presence of God. And it's going to be an eternal dwelling in the righteous. In other words, God, when he first created the heavens and the earth, it was corrupted by sin. And now God will make all things righteous. Anything sinful, anything wrong will be taken away and the new perfect creation will be made once again. So in other words, it will go full circle. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth and he will destroy what has been made because of the corruption of sin and he will renew it with his righteousness. So looking at that, when's it going to take place? When God's ready. Even Jesus said, I don't know. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 says, But of that hour, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father alone. Now, Jesus is God, but in his uh, earthly body, he separated himself from God to a certain extent. And he said, The angels don't know. You know, this is something that God the Father alone has determined. Talked about last week that you know, God's in control of history. And He was in control of when Jesus came. The Bible gives us that simple term, when the fullness of time came. It doesn't say why that particular time uh, in history was important, but in God's timing, Jesus came. In God's timing, this end uh, the earth will come. But now we look at uh, this passage out of 2 Peter. In uh, verse 14, it says that we need to be diligent. Well, Peter liked to use that word diligent. He used it three times in these simple three chapters. Uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he said, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. A few verses down, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, he said, And I will also be diligent that at, all, at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. And then here in verse 13, Therefore, uh, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. So basically, the first one is to be diligent, to make certain of your relationship with the Lord. He says, make sure that you know of this foundational truth that you belong to God. The second one is be diligent to remember all that pertains to the uh, salvation and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the third one is be diligent to live in a way that truly brings honor and glory to the Lord. So I'm going to use that word diligent and use about three different topics that we're going to look at. Verses 11 through 14, be diligent to live godly lives. Now verse 10, again, is that destruction of the heavens and the earth. We also see uh, uh, that kind of repeated in verse 12, and then the promise of the new heaven and the new earth, heavens and the new earth, uh, coming in verse 13. So let's look at what's in between. Look at verse 11, it says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? Holy conduct and godliness. And so we're going to look at those two words, holy conduct and godliness. Well, 
several different places in the Bible, it says that we are to be holy because the Lord God Almighty is holy. Now, how in the world can we as human beings be holy like God? Well, we can't, not in our own strength and abilities. Instead, we must surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and we must allow His Holy Spirit, who is holy, to live in us and through us, and through that means we can live as close to holiness as possible because it's not us living, it's the holiness of God through His Spirit living through us. And then to live in godliness means that we need to strive to live by the attributes of God's presence in us. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, give us the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So we need to be living these out. Now, unlike the uh, spiritual gifts where we don't have all the spiritual gifts, we are to have all of the spiritual fruit. Uh, the spiritual fruit is all-encompassing in what we should be living out. So all these words, all these characteristics, all these uh, attributes of God should be seen in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These all should be things that we're constantly practicing Again, we can't do it in our own strength, but through the strength and the power of the Spirit of God living in us, we can. So, you know, the first thing we have to do is, is kind of focus on uh, reflecting on our own conduct. And the second thing is reflecting on our motivation. Why are we supposed to live this way? Well, we see it. Uh, it says, verse 12, it says, looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God. We are supposed to be looking forward to and hastening for. Goodness. I don't know. They were trying to sell a truck or a motorcycle or something when I came up. What's that? Yeah. Well, I'll try to talk over them. But we're supposed to be looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. We as Christians believe, we know that this day is going to come. We don't know when it's going to come. We know it is going to come. What if it were today or tomorrow? How would it change our life? What change would it make in our motivation? Well, more than likely, we'd be thinking about people in our life that we're not sure about their salvation. And we would be focusing on how can I make sure that this person knows the truth? How can I share the gift of salvation with them? We would be more motivated to sharing the gospel. We'd be more motivated to to make sure that we're ministering in His name, that we are as strong spiritually as possible. We would be doing all these things. Our motivation would probably change if we knew for sure that the coming day of the Lord was imminent, that it was going to be very, very soon. Well, it could be very, very soon. And so basically what we're looking at is how should this impact us? How should it motivate us to be the messengers of God, to be His ambassadors, to share the love of Christ with the world around us? See, only God determines the factor of when when this is going to take place. We don't know when it's going to happen. However, it should be our desire, like God's, for all to come to salvation. And that's what we see. Um, Verse 15 says... 
and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. If you go back to what we dealt with last week, he said that uh, God is not slack. He is patient. He's patiently waiting for more to come to salvation. That's why the end of time has not come yet. So regardless of the timetable that God has set, which no man knows, uh, we need to set our heart's desire to ministering in His name, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that more will come to salvation. So this attitude should cause us to be motivated to keep a focus on God and the eternal determination for mankind. See, whenever that end comes, and it can come today, I could have a heart attack and die right now, and that would be my end. I could die five years from now, ten years, thirty, we don't know. Nobody knows how long we have to live. The day of the Lord could come immediately. It could come right this second. We don't know when our day or when the Lord's day will be. But we need to eagerly be awaiting that. Uh, there are some that think that, okay, God has this magical number of people who give their life to Christ, this, this magical number of people who are saved, and once He reaches that number, then that's going to be the end. Y'all heard of the uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses? They believe there's 144,000 of those. Well, supposedly they, they kind of figured that they had won 144,000 to their, their way of thinking, so that didn't work, did it? <laughs> but you look and you see, only God knows. He's the one that determines this. He knows the date. He knows the time. He knows everything that lead up to it. Now, we are warned in the Bible of things that will happen. Uh, we do know that uh, there will be a, a greater falling away from Christ, that more and more people will want their ears tickled and they will turn to false teachings. And we're seeing that tremendously even right now. So what we need to be doing is being motivated to focus on God to focus on the opportunity He gives us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those are the main things that we need to look at. But then again we see uh, in verse 14, to be diligent, to be found by Him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Here again is how He expects us to be living our Christian lives, to be at peace. That means that we love others even when they don't love us. Uh, the Bible says, if at all possible, be at peace with your fellow man. Even if they are against you, be at peace with them. Be spotless. That goes back to being holy. Uh, what we saw in our holy conduct in verse 11. Be spotless. That means do not live a knowingly sinful life. You know, we're going to sin. We're not perfect. But when we sin, we need to be convicted of that sin. We need to confess that sin. We need to uh, allow God to forgive us and cleanse us of that sin. But we also need to allow His Spirit to be the guiding force in how we live. And blameless. There again, we cannot be sinless or blameless. But we need to strive each and every day to live in such a way that shows that we're living for Him. Allowing His Spirit to live, live through us. Then look at verses 15 through 16. We're seeing... Be, be diligent to know the truth. Be diligent to know the truth. Now, Peter does something really interesting. He starts to talk about Paul. Now, a lot of people 
think that Peter and Paul were almost enemies with each other, that they were antagonizing each other. What happened one time was that Peter was visiting with Gentiles and he would eat the Gentile food without any question. He would take on the Gentile customs. He didn't worry about everything being kosher. And then if he was among Gentiles and Jews at the same time, he would revert back to Judaism and wouldn't touch anything that wasn't kosher because he didn't want to offend the Jews. And so Paul called him out on him. He said, you're a hypocrite. You're acting one way with one group and another way with another group when God is saying that all these things are together, that we are one in the body of Christ. And so Paul actually called Peter out as being a hypocrite. But here, obviously, Peter has great respect for Paul. He basically is saying that Paul's writings were inspired of God. Now, if you will, go back to chapter 1, verse 2. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. Let me just read 1 and 2 together. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind for a way of remembering that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So what Peter was saying in that passage is that he's seen the Old Testament writings, which were, had already been pretty much compiled as inspired writings of God, and he's saying that the writings of the apostles are all equal. They're all inspired by God. And now he's saying the writings of Paul are equally inspired. How do we know that? Well, let's look and see what he says. And regard, I'm sorry, yeah, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Paul wrote from the wisdom that was given to him. That's called inspiration. God inspired Paul to write all these letters. We, we see the, the letters to the churches. We see the uh, letters to the pastors that he uh, ministered to. And so we see that uh, Peter is basically saying Paul's writings were inspired. And so he's you know, giving Paul that credit that he is a, a minister, an apostle of God. And so now what we see is that, what does he say about Paul? Let's look on in verse 16. And also in all his letters, speaking in them these things, in which some things hard to understand. Do y'all understand every single thing about the Bible? Are there certain things that you just kind of scratch your head and say, I just don't understand? I shared last week, you know, as you study through Revelations, there's some things you scratch your head about. There's a whole lot of different ways that you can interpret certain passages of Scripture. When... We talk about the end of time, the, the melting away of the heavens and the earth. We can't comprehend that. I struggle to understand the Trinity. I understand that it is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But how that is all encompassed, I can't fully comprehend it. But Paul wrote some things that were not necessarily hard to understand, but hard to accept. I think what it was is that many things that Paul wrote were contrary to what people wanted to do. 
And he was saying that you must be surrendered. You must be crucified with Christ. You must be, you know, everything in your life needs to be transformed. And people were finding that hard. They wanted to live like they always had. Say, okay, I've got a list of do's and don'ts like in Judaism. If I do that, everything's fine. But Paul was writing totally different. No, you need to be controlled by the Spirit. You need to be crucified with Christ. You need to allow Christ to live in you and through you. And so what what Peter is saying is that some of these things were hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort. He's talking about the false teachers. He's saying false teachers were looking at any area of weakness in the Christian church. They're looking at any area where they were struggling with their own Christianity and they would make their own interpretation of what this meant and they would draw people away from the truth. Now, I have heard too many people take some little obscure passage of Scripture and try to come up with some theology out of it that totally is contrary to the rest of the Scripture. And they say that this is a, a secret message or a secret uh, theory or some secret message from God that they were given this wonderful ability to come up with. Well, if, it, if it's contrary to the rest of the Bible, then it's wrong, period. Uh, you, you can't just take you know, a little snippet of the Scriptures and come up with some other theology some other way to get to God, some other way to have a right relationship with God. And so we look and we see that these false teachers were looking at anything that they could do, taking passages out of, out of context, taking some of these harder-to-live-by teachings of Paul and to find the weak and to draw them away. Now, what we find out is that, I shared this a couple of weeks ago, you have those who were in the church, but they were not truly a part of the church. They were seeking the truth, but they had not really fully come to a a true relationship with Christ. They were saying, I think that Jesus may be that Messiah. I think He may be who He says He is, but there has not been a surrendering, a surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. And so many of these were drawn away from these false teachings. But notice what also He says he says, so uh, pick up verse 7. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Now, if you are a child of God, we can easily fall away by the error of others because we say, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. And it also says that we can fall from our own steadfastness. This does not talk about us losing our salvation. What it really talks about is us becoming unable to serve the Lord. We're no longer of any use to God. And so we look and we see, well, God, am I going to allow myself to be so taken away by false teachings that I'm no longer of any spiritual use to you? And so we have to be very careful with this. And that's basically what Peter is saying. He's using Paul as a as a means to that. that We need to understand the full Word of God. We need to study it. We need to make ourselves understanding of it. And that really leads us to verses 17 and finishing up verse 18. Be diligent to grow spiritually, 
Look at verse 17. I just pretty much read it. Uh, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in this grace and knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. To be him, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So verse 18 is really the focal passage that we must grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Now what we see here is that grace and knowledge are really two different parts of our relationship with the Lord. Grace is sometimes uh, defined as receiving what you do not deserve. And grace is basically us receiving salvation which we do not deserve. We also receive the presence of God in our lives which we do not deserve. But what we see is that we need to come to an understanding that grace will see us through no matter what we face. Many times when we see grace the most is when we finally come to the end of ourselves. When we go through some trial, some type of suffering, and we say, Lord, I cannot face this on my own. And then we see the hand of God working in our lives to give us that strength, that courage, that peace, and that comfort to see ourselves through. I, Miss Niece, I see this so much in Lauren, uh, all that she's facing with her family, and yet time and time again through her uh, post and everything, she's, she's quoting scriptures and showing her faith in God that no matter what the end outcome is, that her faith is in the Lord. And that's really what this grace is all about. No matter what you're facing, like this couple, uh, Jason and Sarah, they don't know what the end result's going to be. I'm praying for grace for them right now. Praying that God will give them that peace and that comfort and that strength uh, to see them through. <laughs> I apologize for whatever's going on out there. But, <laughs> but anyhow, Peter, Peter's warning uh, that we must grow in grace. Let me just share a few passages of scriptures talking about the grace of God. Uh, first, we see it here in uh, uh, going back to 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the grace of uh, the God of all grace, who calls you to His eternal glory in Christ, it will Himself perfect, conform, strengthen, and establish you. So we basically see that our God is the God of all grace. He is also uh, gives us grace to the humble. James chapter 4, verse 6. But He gives a greater grace... Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then also He makes us stewards of the manifold grace of God. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each of you has received a special gift, a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we need to grow in the grace of God. That means experiencing God working in our lives in whatever we're going through, whether it's a time of suffering or whether it's a time of joy. But then we also see in 1 John, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, verse 16, For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. It is Christ who provides us with His grace. But then it says to grow in the grace and knowledge. Knowledge 
uh, is something a little bit different. We'll never know everything there is to know about Jesus and our Lord and Savior. Our finite minds simply cannot comprehend everything. However, we must strive to gain as much knowledge, understanding as we can. Uh, how do we gain knowledge about who Jesus is? Well, the best way to do it is read, study, and meditate on the Word of God because that's our, our historical evidence of who Jesus is. Now, as we study the Word of God, through the Old Testament, we see everything pointing to the coming Messiah, this Savior of mankind. In the New Testament, everything's about Jesus. And so by studying the Word of God, uh, we gain this knowledge of who Jesus is, and He impacts his, our understanding of Him impacts our lives. And so here's basically a prayer that I pray as I prepare to, to write uh, one of these messages, as I prepare to preach them. I say, Lord, I pray that you'll give me wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding of your Word so that I can share it. First of all, live it out myself, and then I can share these truths with others. And so... One thing I, 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 have, I know I have said it before, but let me just remind you, anytime that you open up the Word of God, whether it's just to read a devotional passage, whether it's to get into a deep study of it, before you start reading, pray. Pray for God to give you that wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding of what you're about to read. Otherwise, you're trying to figure it out in your own strength, your own mind. But if you seriously pray a prayer like that, and you say, I believe, God, that your Holy Spirit lives in me, and He is my wisdom. He is my knowledge. He is my guide. And that's what I want. I want Him to give me this understanding of your Word as I read it, as I study it, as I meditate on it. So try that out and see if it doesn't make a difference in your understanding of the Word of God. So we look and we see that um, He can give us that wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding of the truths of His Word and a better understanding of the entirety of who Jesus is. His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and knowing that He is truly Lord of all. So we must never neglect the opportunities that we have to grow in the Spirit of the Lord, in our knowledge, in, our, uh, in His grace, uh, I'm afraid there's way too many people who claim to be Christians and they claim that, okay, when I was nine years old, I walked down an aisle, I filled out a car and I prayed a prayer of salvation and I got baptized and I'm saved, but it hasn't really changed anything in my life. I still live by my own means, my own wits. I do whatever I want to do. I try to be a good person. I think I'm going to go to heaven because I got baptized when I was nine years old, and I prayed that prayer of salvation. Well, if there's never been a hunger for the Word of God, there's never been a desire to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God through His Word, I find it hard to believe that a person is truly saved. Because the Bible is, is full of challenges for us to grow spiritually. And so we look at these passages of Scripture and we see that He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's just a little benediction, a little doxology to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So from this day forward until He comes again, we will praise the Lord.
And that's how Peter ends this. So just kind of applying this, Peter speaks of the day of the Lord when the heavens and the earth will dissolve. Jesus will return in His glory and the new heavens and a new earth will be created. There we will live in perfected bodies with Him. Uh, we will be in His presence for all of eternity. Now, that's going to be something special, isn't it? We will be in the very presence of God. He's going to be present with us. We're going to be present with Him. So there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more tears. There's no more night. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I like a good night's sleep, don't y'all? We won't need it then. There won't even be a night. Matter of fact, there won't be a star. There won't be a sun. There won't be moon. Because the S-U-N is going to be replaced with the S-O-N. Jesus will be our light. Now, how will all that take place? Only God knows. How will this body be transformed into a perfected body? A body fit for eternity? Only God knows. Uh, if you look at Jesus after His resurrection, He was able to pass through walls, but at the same time, when He met with His disciples, He said, give me something to eat. And He ate it. Will we be hungry in eternity? Or was that just Jesus showing that He was actually physically present with them? I don't know. Only God knows. But we need to be prepared and be preparing ourselves for eternity. And we need to be looking at the world around us and saying, you know, God is being patient. He does not want any not to receive salvation. He wants all to receive it. And if He does, then that means that He wants us to be purposefully, diligently looking at those around us and saying, how can I share Christ with them so that they can be a part of this eternity that we're talking about, this eternity with the Lord. Let's close with prayer then. Dear Lord, our hearts do burn with a understanding that there is a lost world around us. And Lord, help us to be more diligent, first of all, to make sure that we are living in a way that brings honor and glory to You, that we are striving to, to grow in wisdom, knowledge, grace, each and every day of our lives, that we truly are allowing our own lives to be crucified so that You can live in us and through us, allowing Your Holy Spirit to, to be the guiding force in everything that we say and do, think and desire. Lord, put a heart of compassion in us. Help us to see the needs around us, whether it's to minister in Your name to a, a fellow child of God or to reach out in love to those who do not know You to share that message of salvation, message of Your love. Help us, Lord, to see the opportunities that You give us. Lord, may it be You who speaks through us and acts through us so that what takes place is not anything that we are doing, but what You are doing through us. Lord, may we be found faithful. Lord, thank You for Your Word, for Your truths. Continue to guide us. Help us to grow. Help us be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.